everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show that talks about how and why you ought to think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined by our uh, resident theologian in training. I was trying to remember what we, we titled you, Spencer, but... There we go. I think that's what training, we decided on. Training. I think that's what I'll, it is. I'll be in training for a doing? long time. I'm doing good. Doing good. Don't think... I had COVID. I say that because I actually have still not gotten my test in, but my family tested negative. But the and people no one got you were sick. around. So, yeah. yeah, the people that I was around that they were worried possibly could have had it, didn't. So it doesn't really matter anymore. But so doing good. Good. Well, it means I'm not doing this podcast alone today, which yeah, not I'm thankful for. Not yet. Maybe since you did all the work of putting these notes together. Otherwise, I just wouldn't have had an episode to do. Except for the one we're pushing off, everybody. But here's the here's the here's the little this is a little behind the scenes podcast info. That episode, the famed episode two, uh, we're actually this is the lead in to it. Yes. This is it. We're gonna get there. We're gonna make it happen. We're excited to do it. That's how I decided we need another lead we get in. in yeah, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, which is Satan in the Old Testament, uh, I want to encourage you to check out our previous episodes. We just spent uh, two or three really dealing with uh, liberation theology. We looked at Hagar last week out of Genesis 16 uh, through that lens of liberation theology and see uh, and saw how God treats those who are oppressed and, and looked at that narrative through her eyes. It's a very good episode. I enjoyed doing that with you. Uh, I think you'll enjoy, if you haven't heard it already, going back and listening to that. You can find that episode and all of our previous episodes, as well as other content kind of covering culture and text and all sorts of other things uh, on strongchurch.org. And we also welcome your comments, criticisms, or suggestions for topics to cover and you can send that to strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Today we're talking about Satan in the Old Testament, which is not just a, hey, let's see where he pops up. It's more of a question of, is is he a he? Is it an idea? Uh, is Satan an individual or a group of individuals? Or I mean, that's, that's more what we're dealing with today. Uh, and this will lead us into... Is it First Chronicles that we're going to talk about next week? Is that our our famous? Yes, First two? Chronicles twenty one, and it's parallel in Second Samuel. So we're gonna we're gonna deal with uh, First Chronicles and Second Samuel in talking about Satan and an actual uh, interesting occurrence that goes on between those two parallel sections there. Uh, but in this lead into it, we we want to have a better understanding of who or what Satan is, what that word means in the Hebrew, and what it meant to the Old Testament audience. So uh, that's that's what we're going to deal with today. Spencer, why don't you, well, lead us lead us into this here. Uh, yeah, who so, is Satan? <laughs> you know, as, as you mentioned, this is kind of a lead-in to uh, looking at two stories, one in Chronicles, one in Samuel, talking about the same event that we're going to have in our next episode. And to understand the problems that come up in that text, which we'll deal with later. But the, to understand those problems, we need to understand how the Old Testament 
talks about and uses the word Satan. And the thing is, is that when you're talking about Satan in the Old Testament, Satan as this maleficent character who is opposed to God, who is doing work against God, actually doesn't ever show up as this character in the Old Testament. And that may be a surprise to some of you, but Satan as this evil character doesn't actually show up in the Old Testament. And kind of off the bat, though, I want to say that that's not me saying that Satan doesn't exist. It's not me saying that Satan didn't exist uh, during the time of the Old Testament. It simply means that the people of the Old Testament didn't yet have this understanding of this evil being who is opposing God. And in reality, that shouldn't bother us to say that they didn't have this understanding uh, because there's plenty of things that we learn and are taught in the New Testament that never showed up in the Old Testament. You know, God doesn't just drop all of this knowledge on humanity at one time and is like, okay, here's everything about everything, physical, spiritual, nature of God, here's everything. God doesn't do that. He kind of teaches us over time. That's actually one reason that I think the Old Testament law was necessary in getting us to Christ because there had to be a time of kind of teaching that humanity wasn't quite ready for the full revealing of God's plan, that God kind of lays things out over time. And that's true of Satan. It's true of all kinds of other things. You know, some examples that I thought of was the idea of salvation. In the Old Testament, salvation is a very immediate and very physical for the people of Israel. When the Old Testament talks about salvation, it's talking about Israel getting a land or returning to their land or defeating their enemies or having a good crop harvest or something like that. That's how salvation is talked about. It's not until the New Testament that we get this idea of ultimate salvation, of God ultimately making things right. Now, we do get hints of that in prophecies and stuff in the Old Testament, particularly in places like Isaiah, but the people of the Old Testament— wouldn't have known that. It's when Jesus came and we see the work of Jesus and then we look back on the Old Testament. It's like, now it all makes sense. It's like, okay, you know, when Isaiah said that, yeah, it had an immediate fulfillment, but its ultimate fulfillment we now see is coming to pass through Jesus. And so that was something that later on, because of Jesus, we can now look back and read the Old Testament in light of what Jesus did and see that, you know, most prophecies have two fulfillments. There was something that immediately happened, but then in Jesus, we kind of get that ultimate fulfillment. Um, Just to to add to that, a couple things there. Um, You think about the the Ethiopian eunuch there reading from Isaiah and the text, you know, as as he's approached, says, uh, Philip preached Jesus to him from this Isaiah passage uh, that he's reading, that part out of Isaiah 53, right? So mm-hmm. there's here's this understanding of it, but here's Jesus being this fuller picture. And uh, along what you talked about, prophecies having uh, two meanings or dual fulfillments, as they're sometimes called, Matthew's gospel is very good about dealing with that. You know, the pro- so says the prophet, and then it'll quote, 
but then it'll give us this, here's how Jesus truly fulfilled it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there, there are some places for you uh, listening to kind of double check on, on what we're saying there. Right. And, you know, you mentioned Jesus. Jesus doesn't show up in the Old Testament. I mean, we don't get an understanding of the Trinity as Father, Son, and Spirit until the New Testament. Uh, you see some discussion of the Spirit of God, but it's not like the New Testament talks about the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. So you get a right. little bit of that. And again, n- no one would make the argument that because of that, God wasn't a Trinitarian God in the Old Testament and then somehow became one in the New. He was always Father, Son, and Spirit. But we don't see that. We actually don't see that explicitly developed in the New Testament either. We get the raw ingredients to put that together. But you don't get all of that raw ingredients of Father, Son, and Spirit in the Old Testament. That's something that when we get to the New Testament, we get the understanding of. Um, eternal award and punishment is something that we get in the New Testament that's not found in the Old as well. In the Old, everybody goes to Sheol, which is just the place of the dead. If you read through the Old Testament, the wicked, the righteous, everybody goes to the place of the dead. Um, it's in the New Testament that the place of the dead actually gets some separation, and we say, okay, not the ultimate result once you die is not all the same. It's the wicked and the righteous, um, and it's just a development of what we see in the Old Testament. Like you said, you get that fuller picture of stuff that we uh, just kind of see glimpses of in the Old Testament. Um Similar to kind of what the Hebrew writer talks about with the, we see the shadow in the old and the fullness yeah, in yeah. Christ kind of a, a thing. And that, that, that's just the same way of the idea of, of Satan. I mean, we see evil forces. We see evil in the Old Testament. We just don't yet have an understanding right. of, oh, there's this being that's involved in doing all of these things. Um, just like, you know, hey, there's Sheol, there's a place that you go when you die. Old Testament, we don't know what really happens beyond that. New Testament, okay, you've got reward and punishment. Um, We know that God exists in the Old Testament. New Testament, we get a fuller picture of who God is, that God's Father, Son, and Spirit. And so I just say that to say it shouldn't bother us to say that they didn't have this understanding of Satan as this evil being, at least not yet. And even Paul, I think it's Galatians where he talks about the uh, the law being a, a guardian or uh, this this tutor leading us to mm-hmm. Christ. Right there, there needed to be this foundational information uh, that is later expanded upon. Because, like you said at the beginning, we can't we can't handle all the information dump immediately. Yeah. As well, here's Adam and Eve. Then here's sin. Let me give you everything. That just wouldn't work that way. One, one point one that I want to make right before you get into, uh, well, what about this passage that maybe is a reference to Satan? Uh, what we've talked about here about the Old Testament is that it's, one, extremely important because you can't understand the fullness of the New Testament picture until you understand the, the building up mm-hmm. to it uh, that's presented in the Old Testament. Uh, which is why, I mean, we've we talked about Hagar last week. We spent so much time in the Old Testament because it's fundamental to our understanding 
uh, of Christ and Christianity in the new. Uh, but then number two, because we have the fuller picture, and, and this is very germane to our discussion today, we have to be extremely careful not to go, well, but the New Testament says this about Satan, and then we bring it backwards with us. We've got to be really careful not to look at the Old Testament with our New Testament eyes, but look at look at it just as what would their understanding have been not knowing the fuller picture, and how does that impact us here? Uh, somebody might ask the question, getting back to our, our topic at hand here, Satan in the Old Testament. Well, what about right at the beginning, Genesis 3, the serpent in the garden? Right. That's probably what most of you listening, the first place you went, the, the serpent in the garden. And I wanted to kind of bring that up now to say, hold on to that. We're going to come back to it at the end and talk about that text specifically. So I, I don't want you to, to think that we're discounting that. Um, but I want you to hold on to it. I want to recognize your, maybe your question, maybe your concern about that passage and say, we'll deal with that at the end. Um, but kind of what I want to do now is we kind of have to start talking about the Hebrew word for Satan, uh, which is the word Satan, which means adversary or accuser or opponent. And in the Old Testament, it's used as a common noun. Uh, sometimes it's used as a position or a role that's filled. But in the Old Testament, Satan is never used as a proper name, like my, like Spencer or Jack or, you know, our uh, proper names. Satan's not used like that. It's used as a common noun. Um, a couple of examples of that would be 1 Kings eleven fourteen. It said, and the Lord raised up an adversary. And that word adversary is the Hebrew word Satan or the Hebrew word Satan. It says, and the Lord raised up a Satan against Solomon. And it tells us who the Satan was, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal house of Edom. And so God is raising up Hadad, this man, to be an adversary, to be an opponent to Solomon, and he's called a Satan. He's called a Satan. In Psalm 109 and verse 6, it says, Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser or let a Satan stand at his right Hand. So again, we have, it's just, it's not being used as someone's name. It's being used as just a common noun. You have this accuser, you have this um, opposer, you have this adversary that's called a Satan or a Satan. Now, it's this Hebrew word that eventually comes to be used as a proper name to refer to the evil being we see in the New Testament that we call Satan, that's where we get that name from, is the Hebrew word Satan. But it's interesting that that Hebrew word Satan is not used as a proper name until the uh, pseudepigraphal works of the Assumption of Moses and Jubilees, which are Jewish writings, non-canonical, non-scripture Jewish writings that were written somewhere between a 200 and 100 BCE. And so it's not until within 200 or so years before the first century, before Jesus, 
that we finally see the Hebrew word Satan being used as a name uh, for this evil being that we see throughout the New Testament. So it's very late before it ever develops from just a common noun, a, a position that somebody is filling to being used as an actual name for a being. Yeah, and those uh, that that's important uh, as well. Those two books you mentioned, uh, the pseudepigraphal works, written when there will be no more new prophecies till Elijah come. All this, you know, in, in between Old and New Testament, that that gap of uh, is it about three hundred years? Am I years short or so. on that? Is it three hundred years or so? Uh, where God's not giving them new revelation, but these books are written and it's pseudepigrapha for false, like the names are not, it's not actually Moses writing the Assumption of Moses, but they, that's where we get that name from. Regardless, these are the Jewish thoughts on things during that time. And so they're significant to our discussion here because the the way they start using this term is how all of the people in Israel, all these Jewish people, these Hebrew people are thinking of the adversary. Now, I mean, now it is the adversary. That's how they're referring to him, mm-hmm. uh, referring to this idea of opponent uh, during that time. So that that's what's in their head, and that's what's in their head going into the New Testament uh, but it wasn't always that way. So very interesting stuff. Uh, if you ever want to read some of the stuff out of the pseudepigrapha, there's actually some really interesting ideas that you've probably heard before. That's where they come from. Yeah. It's yeah. fun and stuff. But kind of uh, what you mentioned, the main thing is just the use of the term Satan. It's during this period, it started to be used as a name for this evil being. But before that, it the term wasn't used in that way is kind of the main thing we're getting at. It wasn't used as a name, which is important when you see its use in, or when you see its use throughout the Old Testament, is that it's it's not yet being used in the way that we want to think about it being used in the New Testament, for example. Right. Well, let's, uh, let's get into some texts, some so. Old Testament texts here yeah. and uh, see how it's developed but still hold on to serpent and genesis we'll get to that in the end but we've got uh we've got a little bit more ground to so, cover we've made one reference well a couple references so far yeah but it gets a little more interesting yeah i want first i i want to start with numbers 22 the story of of balaam and go through and look at a couple texts where the hebrew word satan satan is used and that's one reason that we're saving genesis till the end because in Genesis, the word Satan's not actually used, so we don't have that word being used there. But there's other texts that are important for our understanding of how the word Satan is used in the Old Testament. And like I said, one of those is Numbers 22 and the story of Balaam. And I want to read two verses here where that word is used. Verse uh, Numbers 22 and verse 23 says, But God's anger was kindled. Because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary, or as his Satan. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And then later on in verse 32, it says, And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? 
behold, I have come out to oppose you, or that word oppose is Satan. I have come out to be your Satan because your way is perverse before me. And so this is just two examples of how this Hebrew word Satan is used. It's referring to this angel. If you remember the story of Balaam, he and his donkey are going on their way, and this angel comes and stands before him, kind of blocking the way that uh, Balaam is going, becoming Balaam's adversary, becoming the one who's opposing, who's stopping um, Balaam. And so the angel is referred to as a Satan because he's opposing. He's standing in the way of Balaam. And I think that also goes to show that the word Satan in the Old Testament, it doesn't have a positive or negative connotation. It just kind of is. You know, in this case, it's the angel of God who is Satan because he's fulfilling that role of opposing of being an adversary to Balaam. And so I think that's a great place to start because that's a prime example of how this term is being used throughout the Old Testament. Yeah, and very straightforward, especially a way of showing here while the this, the Satan oppose adversary itself is not uh, inherently negative uh, mm-hmm. Like the way that we would use it today, we would never use Satan in a positive sense or a neutral sense, a negative sense for us. Uh, but it is it is a term used of a positive thing, the angel of the Lord. Uh, and so that's why word study stuff is important. Uh, it's not that it, well, words words will have more than one meaning. Very right, often. and when you Through go the back... New Testament, I was just going to say, when, when you go back to the first Kings passage, it's God specifically is raising up a Satan yeah, against yeah. Solomon. So it's God's the one doing this at this time. So it's not, it doesn't have any necessarily positive or negative uh, connotation. It's just depending on how it's used. Is this opposer accuser good or are they bad? Right. And so at this point from the from the sections we've looked at, it can be used of good individuals. It can be used of uh, bad individuals here as well. And it gets a little more interesting as we continue on uh, here to Zechariah chapter three. Yeah, uh, I want to read the first two verses of Zechariah three here. It says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? This is one of the texts where things get complicated because rather than translating the Hebrew Satan, the translators in pretty much every English version in this text have transliterated, which means they've just taken the Hebrew letters and giving them giving and have given them English letters. So we see Satan right. is standing here. And then they've capitalized Satan. And so they're make in translating it that way, they're making an interpretive move saying that this is being used as a name. And so when we in English right are reading this, we say, oh, this is an, 
name for some kind of being. But like we talked about, when you're reading it in Hebrew, it's not necessarily being used in that way. It appears that way because of the way that it's translated, but it's not necessarily being used that way. And kind of as I stated at the beginning, I don't think it is being used as a name. And there's two reasons that I think that's the case, why the uh, use of Satan here in Zechariah 3 cannot be our New Testament usage of Satan as this evil being. And one is because Satan is in the presence of God, however you want to think about that. Satan's in heaven, Satan's in the throne room of God, but he's standing there before the throne of God. And if you you may remember in the New Testament, in Luke, Jesus says that he saw uh, Satan fall from heaven, right? Satan was kicked out of heaven. He was kicked out of the presence of God. And maybe I'm wrong on this, but I feel like when God kicked him out, Satan doesn't just have a free pass to enter back in whenever he feels like it. Being kicked out is being kicked out, and yet it appears that he's here in the presence of God. Um, We also know that God can't be in the presence of sin, the presence of evil. And so if this being in Zechariah 3 is our New Testament evil being of Satan, we have all kinds of problems with him standing here in the presence of God and problems that we can't solve in any other way, I don't think, unless to say that this isn't our New Testament Satan. I think it's more likely, because of these reasons, that Satan here in Zechariah 3 is referring to a role that is being filled by someone in the heavenly council, by some other um, spiritual being. It's interesting to note that in this text, Satan is preceded by an article. That is, it's preceded by the word the. It doesn't just say that Satan was standing at his right hand in verse 1. It says the Satan was standing at his right hand. And so the reference here is, like I said, it's to the Satan or the accuser or the opposer. Uh, It's being used as a role or position, just like we would say the president or the quarterback, right? President and quarterback isn't somebody's name. It's a position or a role that somebody is filling. And the same is true with the use of an article before a noun in Hebrew. It's typically used as a position. Not You wouldn't say the Spencer, right, to refer to me. You would say just right. Spencer. But you may refer to me as like the preacher when you're referring to a role that I fill. You'll put the in front of it. And Hebrew works the same way. So it's more likely referring to a role or a position as the accuser. And if you read uh, the entirety of the context here, which we won't, but it seems like the role is a judiciary role, the role of like an accuser or a prosecuting attorney whose job it is to bring accusations. It says that the Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. It kind of seems like the context is almost like a courtroom scene in God's courtroom and God's throne room is kind of what's being presented here. 
And so you have this role of kind of prosecuting attorney that's bringing accusations against uh, Joshua, the high priest, which is kind of a representation of Israel, it seems. And then God kind of responds with, no, I'm going to cleanse you, is kind of how the, the context goes here. So doesn't seem, because of those problems, I don't think it can be our New Testament Satan. seems more than likely that it's some kind of role of a prosecuting attorney type in this scene that's being presented here in Zechariah 3. Yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting passage for sure. And before we get into Job here, um, well, one, uh, the capitalization uh, of Satan here, as you said, is is the translators making, or it's transliteration here, but the translators making an, an interpretive choice of saying to us, when you read this in English, you should think of it in this way, that this is a person the Satan standing before. Uh, but then they eliminate the articles as well, uh, which I, all I want to say to that is is this point of uh, uh, John Golden Gay's The First Testament. I don't know if you're, I imagine you're familiar with that, Spencer, but I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure of any other Hebrew translations, but he it's, it's a Hebrew, just a very as straight, to English as you can sort of translation from Hebrew right into it. And I checked and Zechariah three is, um, the adversary translated there. Yeah. Um, so you don't need to know Hebrew, but find a translation not to use as your regular, but to study with that'll go, Oh, there is an article there because articles get chopped off all the time Yeah. Uh, in the old Testament and new Testament it happens all over the place. Uh, and so do capitalizations. Spirit is is and is not capitalized all the time when maybe it should or shouldn't be. I mean, it's it's yeah. a thing that we run into all throughout the Bible. So finding those that are more literal as much as you can uh, to kind of double check your studies with is very helpful, especially in times like this. Yep. Uh, my, we move from Zechariah here. Go ahead. I was just, my side note. My opinion. I wish we would almost capitalize nothing in our translations because every time it it's you didn't have capitalization in the original language and so when we capitalize we're making an interpretation whether it's spirit or pronouns like he or anything like that we're making an interpretation of oh like with spirit when you capitalize the s you're saying oh that's the spirit the holy spirit god's spirit which may or may not be the case. If you capitalize a pronoun like he, you're making the interpretation that he is referring to Jesus or to God or to the Spirit, which may or may not be true. Right. Um, and so you can't just take at face value that any interpretation was correct in choosing to capitalize something. Yeah, always use multiple uh, translations when studying, and you'll hopefully see a, a much better picture that way, a much more full picture that way. Uh, we move to uh, a bigger section uh, that we're referring to as prologue here, out of Job, uh, talking about Satan. You know, Satan comes before God here. So so what uh, what does it mean here? Yeah. What problems do we have in this, this particular text? So I imagine Job's probably another one that came to your mind when you first 
uh, thought of Satan in the Old Testament. Uh, Genesis 3 with the serpent and Job in particular, because we have the word Satan being used there. And if you remember the story, God says to Satan, you know, have you considered my servant Job? And in essence, what Satan says is, you know, Job is only faithful to you, is only faithful to God, because you've blessed him with all these things. If you take them away, Job will curse you, is in essence how that the prologue of Job goes. But, and so most of the time when we read this, we understand Satan as New Testament Satan, evil being, opposing God. Again, it's transliterated in our English translations. The S is capitalized as if it is a name. But we actually have the same, very same problems in Job as we do in Zechariah. You have Satan in the presence of God. And we mentioned, and so I won't go over again, the problems that we have of if this is the evil being we see in the New Testament being talked about here, being in the presence of God like we see him in Job, being a part of this heavenly council, being in the throne room of God in heaven, whatever kind of language you want to use there. And again, in Job, Satan is preceded by an article. It's the Satan, the adversary, most likely in Hebrew, like I mentioned with when it's referred to in this way, is referring to a role or a position because you don't put an article in Hebrew in front of someone's name. It's not, you know, like I said, the Spencer or something like that. And so what appears yeah. to be going on in Job is this adversary, this Satan, seems to be either a member of the heavenly council, uh, another spiritual being. It could also, I've seen people make the argument that it is a personification of some aspect of God's nature, some part of uh, God. Like, you know, sometimes we may personify God's love and talk about God's love doing something. You know, well, love doesn't actually do something. It's God doing it, but it's that aspect of God that's causing him to do it. Um, And so it could kind of be used in that way, being a personification of a aspect of God that's being this kind of adversary to Job. Because it's important to note, I think we miss this when we read the prologue of, of Job. And I think we miss it because we see the word Satan capitalized. And so we see what this being is doing to Job as evil, as bad, because of what we're reading into that word Satan. But if you actually read it, and if you change Satan to adversary, then that may help. What Satan does in Job is actually not bad. Uh, The adversary, the Satan in Job, never actually tempts Job. He doesn't tempt Job to sin, which is something that's evil, which is something that's wrong, which is something that God does not do, cannot be a part of. We know that God does not tempt us. But rather what the adversary does in Job is simply tests Job's faith. That's what he does. He's not tempting Job. He's testing the strength of Job's faith. Will Job stay faithful when all of his blessings are taken away? And something we see throughout Scripture is that is something that God does. God does, and God allows our faith 
to be tested. The testing of our faith is not a bad or an evil thing. God does not tempt us to sin, but God does at times tests and allows our faith to be tested. That's what's going on in Job. It's a test of faith. It's not a temptation to sin. And I think that's an important distinction. The role of the adversary and Satan and Job is not an evil role necessarily. You could make that argument, but it's not uh, explicit that it's evil. And I don't think it is. I think it's God testing the faith of Job, God knowing that Job is going to stay faithful. But we all know Again, we can go to the New Testament for this more explicitly, of how the testing of our faith makes our faith stronger. It makes us uh, stronger and better right. followers of God when we have our, ta- our faith tested. That's necessary. It's necessary for our faith to be tested. And I think that's what is going on with Job. All right, very good. Yeah, that's... Uh, Another good example of certain assumptions that we make based on how we've, I'll say conditioned, how we've been conditioned to view a word. We see Satan, we automatically go, okay, this is inherently bad. It's evil. When the text itself, and I can understand that argument being made based on what occurs as far as Job's uh, sickness and all the loss and everything there. Um that an argument can be made there, but just the term itself is not inherently evil. Again, referring back to uh, Balaam and the Mm -hmm. angel of the Lord standing as adversary. Well, that's not evil. It's just opposed, just to the opposite of the message that Balaam was or his, his mission there. So uh, not an inherent one way or the other. And we have to be really careful, especially with words or ideas that we think we are very familiar with to do extra study on them because we're going to have certain biases that we just accept and move on. And uh, they may not always be correct. Uh, Job was one of the first places I thought of when we were talking about Satan in the Old Testament, because it's a very, we spend a lot of time in Job one and two, and then the last chapter (laughs) and less time in all of the stuff in between. And so we're very familiar with that. And I'm like, Oh yeah, Satan came in. Well, you read through it, the adversary, it's a, it's a bit of a different thing there. All right. Is it time for Genesis? Genesis 3. And the yeah. lack of the word adversary. <laughs> the the fall, the, the serpent, which is, as I mentioned at the beginning, is probably another place that you uh, went. And yep. I believe that um, the serpent in Genesis 3 is... Satan, as we find the term being used in the New Testament. However, uh, the serpent in Genesis 3 is never referred to as Satan in the Old Testament. As far as I know, uh, it's only referred to as, the serpent is only referred to as Satan in one place in the New Testament, and that is in Revelation 20 and verse 2. It says, And he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Um, That's where we finally get the serpent being referred to specifically with the word Satan. But never in the Old Testament is the serpent referred to as Satan or as Satan, which 
to me, is very telling about how the Old Testament uses the word Satan. The fact that the serpent is Satan, but that term is never used in the Old Testament to refer to the serpent. I think that goes to prove the point that in the Old Testament, the word Satan isn't used like that. It's not used as a name. It's used as a common noun or to refer to a position that someone is filling, but not as a name, Um, which is, I, I kind of want to end with this of making the point again that I said at the beginning This isn't saying that Satan doesn't exist or that he didn't exist in the Old Testament or he wasn't at work in the time of the Old Testament. The main point that we're making is twofold. First, that the people of the Old Testament didn't yet have that understanding. And because of that, secondly, and I think kind of the main point, the Hebrew word for Satan is not used in that way. It's not until we get to the New Testament that that term has then been taken and used as a name. And I think the serpent is one of the prime examples of that, is that the serpent's never referred to as Satan because they're not using the word in that way. They're using it as a position that's being filled, like in Job or Zechariah, or they're using it as just a common noun, like the story of Balaam or God raising up an adversary or Satan against Solomon. And that's important when we're reading through and interpreting the Old Testament, um, understanding how that word is used, understanding the how the people of the Old Testament understood the the world and what was going on, and that their beliefs hadn't yet progressed to where we find them in the New Testament. Um, sometimes we get in a problem, as we mentioned at the beginning, by assuming that the people in the Old Testament had the exact same understanding as people in the New Testament. And that's not the case because there's, you know, thousands of years separating um, some of that. And so they're not going to have the same understanding because God doesn't just dump all this knowledge on us at one time. He reveals it to us over time. Um, And that's important when we're figuring out the language that's being used to describe things, no matter if we're in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Because I think we have the problem sometimes with the New Testament, too, when we're trying to understand them as Jews, but we have to understand them as Jews in their time, not Jews in, you know, Moses' time. I mean, they have, their knowledge has progressed of God, uh, partly from everything that the Jews went through from the time of, you know, Abraham all the way up through the uh, first century. And so we need to make sure that we understand these writers and the audience in the time that they're in, what's going on in their time, and the understandings that they have of God and God's work at that time as things progress throughout history. Well, there you go. Words, words, authors, audience, context, history, all of it very important uh, to take into account whenever you're looking at a passage or even just a word uh, throughout a passage, book, or Old or New Testament. So you get all those things going, then you can start, uh, I mean, that's how you think theologically. It takes a lot of work. Um, but I think as we've seen today, and as we'll see maybe a little more fully next week, this was our Old Testament foundation to build into the more full picture 
of next next time's podcast. Yes, uh, where we look at this First Chronicles twenty one uh, and the the parallel in Second Samuel uh, that uh, deals with Satan and and that term and how it's used very differently in those two sections and how and all you that will works together. see in that next one that that text in um first chronicles 21 is a prime example of a major major problem that we have if satan is used as a proper name for an evil being of god we have a bigger problem than zechariah or job if we understand it in that way that's why this foundation was so important in understanding how the term is used so that it makes it easier for us to solve the problem of that text that we'll bring up in the next episode. Well, there you have it. A good a good plug for the next episode. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you about it, Spencer, and I hope you're excited to listen to it, those of you that are joining this podcast along with us. You will find that episode the same place you found this one and all of our previous episodes there on strongchurch.org. And of course, if you have any questions about stuff that you know we may be talking about or stuff that we have covered regardless of when we covered it, uh, you can send those things to us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Uh, and maybe one of these days we'll do a, uh, a, a grab bag episode uh, trying to answer as many of those as we can. I'm Jack. That's Spencer. This has been Thinking Theologically. Thanks for joining us.